Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels and my guest today is kidney transplant recipient and powerlifter Megan Cairns. We discuss Megan's experience of childhood kidney failure and having a transplant at the age of 12, as well as the challenges facing young transplant or dialysis patients who want to get into sport and how she started powerlifting. I think you'll be able to take something from the determination Megan has shown to bounce back from setbacks and find a sport she enjoys taking part in. If you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe or follow wherever you normally listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Megan Cairns, welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. Thank you for having me. So you're another kidney transplant recipient on the podcast today. We'll go right back to the start. When did you first find out that you had kidney problems? So I was diagnosed in November 2002, um, but it took a while to get that diagnosis, even though I was really ill at that point. Um, My parents kept taking me to the GP for a few months and they kept telling us it was constipation. And they kept taking me to the GP because I was really lethargic and fatigued, had no energy. I was sleeping all the time and I wasn't really urinating or anything like that. And they knew something wasn't right. And it wasn't until a local GP done bloods and they sent me to the paediatric unit in my local hospital uh, because my haemoglobin was so low. Again, that hospital sent me home with constipation, but they had done a full blood picture. And later that evening, we got a call from them telling us to pack a bag and go to them to get a letter and then go to the Royal Victoria Hospital for Sick Children in Belfast. So we done that and got there. Um, I don't really remember a lot of that because I was only five and a half at that point. Um, But what I do remember was waking up, basically going into the ward and they had like decorations hanging from the ceiling. And I just remember looking at these decorations and seeing the door get further and further away and being like, what's going on here? But my mum turned to my dad and said, this is where the kids come for dialysis. Because at that point, Neil Robinson had been on the TV a lot. And she knew then basically all about the ward and that it was 
a reward for dialysis and kids with renal problems and the nurses told my mum and dad be prepared to be here for a while but they didn't really know at that point what they meant when we got there so when we got there I was given a sideworn put in a bed and my mum and dad were taken to a private room with the consultant and they were told that I was in renal failure I needed to go on to dialysis ASAP but that I was too ill for theatre and that I might not make it. Did you know much about this at that time? No. You said you're only five and a half were you just sort of going along with it you had sort of no idea what the problem was but maybe had a bit of an inclination that there was something going on? Yeah I knew myself that something wasn't right like my mum used to have to dress me for school in bed and carry me up the hill to school because I was so tired I couldn't do anything like that and when you're seeing all these other kids you know running up the hill to school you're like something's not quite right here yeah but then when I was admitted and because I was so ill my hemoglobin was 4.2 and or 42 is the old kind of one is and when it should be you know around that 12 or 120 so that shows you how ill I was and but they didn't know what it was and they did scans and tests and I ended up being diagnosed with I will probably pronounce this wrong but it's nephronesthesis I think is how you say it we'll go with it It sounds all right to me yeah for those who aren't aware what what is that um, so it is a genetic disorder um, classified as a type of medullary cystic disease. It is quite rare, but basically it's inflammation and scarring of the kidneys and then like cysts in the centre of the kidneys, basically then the medullary cystic disease. Right. Sounds, I mean, I, I've got IGA neuropathy or had it in my original kidneys. Um, and it to me, looking from not knowing much about that condition, it sounds like a combination of IgA nephropathy and polycystic kidney disease. Would that be sort of a way of simplifying it? Probably. It's the main part of it is obviously the cysts in the medulla not being able to regulate the function um, in the nephrons for being able to maintain the salt and water balance um, in the kidneys. So then that was you know, likely why I wasn't urinating a lot and things like that. So with it being, obviously going on to dialysis, not urinating, your kidney function was quite low. Do you know how low it was at that point? I honestly think it was complete renal failure. Right. Pretty much. Now, I, I'm not 100% sure on that, but my creatinine was in the thousands. Wow. And I sits at 120. <laughs> so that basically shows how badly the kidneys were yeah. affected. Are you so young at the time how did you deal with the illness and manage it while you were at school even going forward past that my parents were really good in helping me manage it they tried to keep life as normal as possible um at night my mum had a really strict routine I went on to the dialysis at half six and they didn't allow people to the house or anything after that because they said it wasn't fair on me to have people there that I couldn't go and see because I was attached to the PD machine at that point mm-hmm. and they were always really good and encouraging me with my schoolwork and um, the likes of birthdays and all these three parties for me to keep things like that normal to have a social life that way as well so they were a really big help in keeping life as normal as possible and coping through everything that I was going through. 
And again, being so young, did your friends have an idea of what was going on, why you might be limited in certain ways? When I was in primary school, not really the likes of changing for PE and that, people would have, you know, pointed to the catheter in your stomach and been like, what's that? And you kind of just said, well, that's something that I need to keep me okay. In school, it was a lot tougher. Um, I was actually bullied quite a lot with, I was transplanted when I was 12, so I was in high school. And with the steroids and that, I had the puffy face, you know, they make you hungry, so you you likely gain weight and that after your transplant, and I was bullied a lot for that. And in university, I ended up um, actually having sepsis, and I lost quite a few friends because they didn't understand the extent to that, which I was unwell. And they were kind of, I say confused isn't quite the right term, but they didn't understand the depth to the seriousness of it. Because that when I was in hospital, we didn't actually know that it was sepsis. They just knew that I had a bad infection at that point. And they didn't quite understand the complications between that and the kidney. Right. From being at university myself, it is... Because you expect, I think I've worded it before and I've done share your wishes, that it's what you're always told would be three of the best years of your life. I mean, you were all, you had your transplant going into that. I was pre-transplant at that point. It is, I th- thankfully, I was in a position where everyone I lived with saw me straight through because I was diagnosed when I was there. So they understood what was going on uh, and how I might be affected. But I can see why it could be difficult for people to understand your your condition the side effects it may have how you could be affected and again um something that i noticed the um how clean and hygienic you've got to be student houses maybe aren't well known for how tidy and clean they are but it's the finding people that are around you that can adapt and live that way with you was that something that was difficult yeah especially my first year in halls having things clean and that was really difficult I actually end up keeping like my pans and saucepans and all in a box in my room because people were using them and not washing them and even in all honesty part of the way through it I didn't really cook or anything I was eating a lot on the go and it was part of what pushed me to get into exercise and sport was because through that I was gaining a lot of weight from just eating handy things that you know you can pick up in the shop or stuff that you can just put in the oven because it meant then it wasn't touching the surfaces and things like that yeah hearing that I feel like I got quite lucky in my situation but obviously some people aren't aren't as fortunate as you've been you mentioned the exercise that that came from that stemmed from that we'll come on to that later but going back to the the kidney disease and dialysis you did both forms your pd and hemodialysis which one of those did you prefer pd i really didn't like the central line with hemo i found it really uncomfortable um and but the one thing i did like with hemo was the fact that you weren't attached to machine in bed at night so you were a lot freer during the night but pd allowed me to have more of an everyday life that I was taken off the machine in the morning and could go to school and come home, do my homework and have a day and then go back on it at night. Whereas with Hamo, I was up and down to the hospital three or four times a week. And 
you were there and you know people in school are like well why are you going and then it's well you know you say the likes of you know I think I was eight when I was on hemo for a while because I ended up um, having peritonitis and to try and explain that to an eight-year-old you know they're not really going to understand it so you get a lot of questions and you don't really know how to answer them whereas with PD in school the line's covered no one knows anything really and it's a lot easier to keep things kind of confidential in a way if you don't feel like sharing with everybody as well. Yeah some people really like hemo some people really like peritoneal it's it seems to be a very personal choice and depending on your lifestyle so you, you try to keep it confidential especially at the age as well you mentioned you touched on the bullying bit a lack of filter possibly yeah definitely because kids are very intrigued at things that they don't know about you know the likes of as I said when I was changing for PE in primary school they were like what's that to the catheter line because it's something new to them and they don't mean any harm in anything but when you're going through a lot of that especially at a young age some things can affect you that kids say that they don't mean to and being able to then kind of hide it in a way was part of my coping mechanism for it. Was that difficult at times to sort of hide it? Yeah the likes of I remember one day in school I wasn't feeling very well and there was uh, someone that was sitting with me and gave me a bottle of milk to drink and I was like to her I can't drink that because obviously the restrictive fluid intake and all of that and she looked at me and was like yes you can so I had to sit there and pretend to take a sip of this milk and sit with it in my lap knowing that I shouldn't be drinking this with an adult (laughs) beside me being like you can drink that when I'm like no you know and because they're an adult they think oh she maybe just doesn't like it or something like that because they're not going to understand the full you know extent of things like that that it is difficult in some extremes like that and there were certain days that I maybe wasn't feeling my best both mentally and physically and the likes of if someone had said something about the line or me being different because I was on PD would have really affected me because I was quite a sensitive child as such and that it was difficult coping at times with that. Yeah we've mentioned earlier that you you had a transplant you went to university with a transplant going back to that time how did it feel when you eventually got the call to come in for a kidney? I can literally remember it like it was yesterday and it's my kidney's 13th birthday in May this year and it was actually my 12th birthday when my parents got the call that morning but I was still on dialysis so they waited until I'd woke up and I was still on the machine and my cousin was staying with us that evening Um, and he stayed over so three of them came into my bedroom that morning and one of them turned to me and said if you could have anything you want for your birthday what could it be my first thing in my head was a kidney but like I had waited you know it was six and a half years on dialysis and I was like you wonder is it gonna happen and I sat there for a second being like should I say this almost too good to be true yeah and then you the word kind of came out a kidney and I remember looking at my mum and she just cried and was like, well, you're going to get your kidney today. 
and it is literally it just feels like a miracle has happened when you get that call because you know how big of a change it's going to make to your life and like I am a Christian and we believe that that was you know like a gift from God because in the Bible it says every good gift comes from above and that is the best gift that I've ever gotten and I'm getting nearly emotional now (laughs) sitting thinking about it but it is just the day that my life changed you know so far it has been the biggest day of my life and I know even 10 20 years down the line I will probably still be the same and be able to remember it like it was yesterday such a special story as well the fact it was on your birthday and it as I said the best gift you could ever ask for so you got to the hospital how were you feeling leading up to it obviously there'd be the the tests wouldn't there I was quite calm in all honesty um so we let the dialysis finish and packed the bag and that and went to the hospital and I was put straight on dialysis then but I remember sitting just drawing pictures while they were doing the bloods and stuff and kind of just there talking away on my phone I was messaging my friends because uh, obviously it was my birthday and there was plans made which all had to be cancelled and and talking away to them and there was you know jokes of how long you're gonna have to wait till you find out if it is definitely a match and all of that that I was honestly just kind of took it in my stride and let the day go on as what was needed to be done um if it had have been when I was younger as I said it was six and a half years I don't know would I have been quite as content throughout the day the timing was also perfect because I had sat um, my 11 plus, which is my exam to get into high, grammar schools, that first half of that academic year. And it was the May time. So it meant then that I could isolate during the summer to be able to go to school. So everything was kind of perfect in timing because in children's you had to isolate for three months, whereas in adults it's nowhere near quite as long as that. I don't remember being told anything about isolation after transplant. Yeah, it's very different in children's compared to adults. Three months, that's quite a long time for someone at 12 at the time to be told, I suppose like we have been doing this year really, staying in. How did you take that as a 12-year-old? It was difficult being confined, but after the transplant I had all this energy that I didn't know I had anymore, so... Um, I was kind of like running about our hall and doing things like that and obviously times where frustration did set in but I was in all honesty just kind of happy that I had had my kidney and had this new start to life as such that anytime I did try to get frustrated or annoyed you try to remember that and why you're doing this that it is for your benefit and it wasn't the first time that I'd been in isolation either um so it wasn't that difficult for me yeah that makes sense I mean you've sent me some information about your your transplant journey and story and something I picked up on that I thought was quite quite amazing was that during the transplant surgery the surgeon decided to go in redo it reconnect everything at what point did you find out and did you feel like something extra had happened 
I had not got a clue when I came out from surgery or anything like that. We didn't really know at the time roughly how long a transplant should take. Um, I went in after midnight that night and came out around 10 o'clock the next morning. And we just thought that was normal at the time, didn't really know anything. And it wasn't until I moved from the Children's Hospital, the Royal, to the City Hospital. And my dad actually remembers the surgeon telling him that he remembered me and doing the surgery because he wasn't happy with what he called the plumbing right? and had to redo it all. So that was probably around eight to ten years after that we found out all of this and we're like oh okay and everything thankfully it didn't cause much of an issue at the time and we'll come on to afterwards now you mentioned the sepsis other than that has it all been going well since i had to have a couple of courses of plasmapheresis or plasma exchange and atg um which was actually during my gcse years in school but thankfully the kidney was fine after that and um, that was because I was diagnosed with BK virus and they had to reduce then the immunosuppressants and then obviously that was the effect of that but I survived that and came through that fine and um, I had a period of isolation again after that because in the words of my consultant my immune system had been battered because of that because obviously the plasma exchange takes out the plasma from your blood and puts in albumin and um, so that can then remove the likes of white blood cells and things like that um, and then the sepsis as you've mentioned but they were the two cases that were setbacks but apart from that everything is fine and my kidney survived the sepsis as well thankfully and is doing well again now good to hear it's really nice to see that it's doing well and just battle through all that and still going strong we'll come on to the sports a bit more now and you mentioned the, the experiences of PE at school and having your transplant as a child and you were we had a bit of a chat before and you weren't that into your sport before your transplant and soon after before your transplant do you think your illness was a, a big part in that and the the tiredness yeah, definitely. The fatigue was a big part of it. Um, I played a little bit of netball in school, but there was always subs there um, for anybody, you know, that needed or gotten injured or anything. But the likes of um, we went to a day of matches and I got subbed in for being tired and that. Um, but I was more academic. I'm focused on the likes of, as I mentioned earlier, my 11 plus and things like that in the before my transplant and even the first few years after it and um, the first few years after it I went to a local dance school and again played a bit of netball in school but there was nothing major and I wouldn't have said I was sporty in any way at all or into health and fitness that way. So you mentioned earlier that you um, it was through university and the, the change of diet that sparked that desire to go and get into sport exercise get fit again uh what were the challenges to starting sport physical activity after you'd had a transplant i think it was knowing not to push yourself too hard in the sense of now i was thankfully about well i was 12 and i was uni when i was 19 so that was seven years post transplant so i had recovered quite 
well um but it was the likes of I got a PT to help me and having to sit and tell him well I've had a transplant I have to be careful with you know certain things and the find I find one thing that I am really careful with is my core work even now I do a lot more isometric core work rather than sit-ups and crunches and things like that and it's just being very aware of the kidney being there and knowing how to protect it through your exercise. What sort of exercises are you doing? Then I was doing the likes of goblets, squats, you know, lunges, um, overhead presses with light weights. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I done cardio-wise, you know, the bike, the rower, things like that. Any planking in terms of core exercises? Then not really. Now, yes. Um, I would do planking after I've done my session. Um, I find with powerlifting, the big thing that I've had to work on is my core stability. Obviously, with my kidney, is in my lower left pelvis. And then I have a scar in the middle of my stomach for inserting the PD line. And then, obviously, there's a slight scar where the opening of the catheter went in. So that is one thing that I have had to spend a lot of time working on is my core strength and stability. At first. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It does feel strange when you, when you do anything that's core related. I, I felt very cautious try in a sit-up and press-ups and things. It feels a bit better now. I'm not going to sit-up for a while, but press-ups I'm doing semi-regularly. And you almost, there's a tentative side there. You feel as if, like, what's this going to do if I keep doing that? Yeah, one big thing is getting to know your body and the kidney there and knowing what is good for it and the likes of you kind of nearly can, I find personally, if I go to do something, say it is like so for me personally I can't quite do sit-ups I find that puts a lot of strain and if I went past kind of a crunch I would know I would feel it because if I get past that you start to feel nearly like a strain for me personally and I can do them but I just find for myself that that strain isn't worth it and there is a lot in that example of alternative exercises as I said I would do planking mainly in like hollow holds and I find that is a lot better for me um whereas that might not be the same for everybody else and it is that as I've said knowing your body and knowing what is best for you how important was the PT and you relaying your understanding of your body and what you can and can't do and then for them to sort of plan exercises around it and adapt maybe give you things that you might not have thought of before Well, when I got the PT, I didn't really have any knowledge of, you know, exercises and what worked, what muscle groups and things like that. Um, So they were a big help in the likes of knowing, you know, well, an overhead press is going to work your shoulders and your trice and things like that. Um, And then for knowing what I can and can't do, it was a bit of a trial and error sense of, you know, I found out I couldn't do a sit-up by trying to do it because they hadn't got a lot of experience working with someone with a transplant before. Um, My coach now is really good and would have a bit more knowledge on what I can and can't do compared to the first PT. Um, But it was kind of as the sessions went on, we then were able to learn, well, that's not going to work because of how I reacted to other exercises and things like that. I've had some listener questions in based on your exercise and powerlifting, which we're going to come on to in more detail soon. I had one in on um, Instagram. And if anyone does want to get in any questions uh, to ask whichever guests are on in the future, you can do by following Transplants Take On Sport on all the social media pages. So Instagram and Facebook are at Transplants Take On Sport pod and Twitter is at CTOS pod. The day before each recording, like we've done this time, I'll post on those pages saying who's coming on, what they do, what their sport is, what the transplant is, and give you the opportunity to ask any questions that you'd like. So we got one in this time from Joanna, who says, do you think having a transplant has increased your mental strength? Definitely. I know before I was transplanted and even after I felt like I was weaker or different 
and I know a big part that's helped me with it has been the powerlifting but you nearly have to form a mental resilience because you're not just going the likes of in school and sitting your GCSEs or A-levels or in university doing your studies you have this other stuff going on the likes of you know I take my medication you know 12 hourly you have your hospital appointments that you're missing school and you're uni and having to catch up the likes of before you're on dialysis and you have the fatigue and things like that but even your medication has side effects you know I'm on tacrolimus so I find sometimes tremors would be a bit of an issue yeah. and you have to cope with all of that as well as everything else that your fellow students are going through that you need to form that mental resilience to be able to cope with everything or else you would crumble nearly and I know there has been times where I have broke down and cried or you know just felt like everything was too much and I had the weight of the world on my shoulders but I thankfully have a really good support network around me with my parents and family that have helped me through that and it is going through those times that you do build up your mental ability and ability to be able to cope with everything. Uh, yeah, I think you're spot on. The determination that transplant patients have shown, and I've learned more through doing this, is unbelievable. Because you get, I think I mentioned it on uh, last week's episode, sometimes you get constant setbacks and blow after blow knocking you back. And then the, the majority seem to just come through it stronger and be able to learn from that and take it into the rest of their life. Yeah, definitely. Like I know simple things, I say simple things, they're really an important thing for everybody of coping strategies and things like that that I've learned and I'm still developing. Um, the likes of one for me is a big one is journaling. You know, I would journal every few days to kind of have a brain dump of everything that I'm thinking about and being able to write things out allows me to process things a lot better and that's one thing that I know I will be able to take with me for things that are everyday life situations as well as what you know I've had to cope through with the transplant. So from mental strength to physical strength for those who aren't aware what is powerlifting? Um, so as you said strength there powerlifting is a strength sport and it um, consists of three lifts a bench press a squat and a deadlift and it is a weight class sport so there's different weight classes Um, if you're going into a competition that you would need to come under depending on obviously what weight you're in and then the competition consists of three attempts of three of your maximum weight lifts for each lift so you have nine lifts in total Um, it starts with your squat then moves to your bench and then moves to your deadlift the weight class you mentioned there, that was something I was, I'd done some research on and something I thought about before because it's nice to hear there is, otherwise it could be you competing against someone who's six foot six, 120 kilograms, <laughs> powering forward. You always oh, what are we going to do now? Yeah, well, you have the men's and women's as well to make it fairer because obviously a man of the same weight of a woman is going to be stronger, not not in a sexist sense, but it's just the way they are built, um, obviously because they're more likely to have more muscle mass than the female of the same weight. Um, but you no, know, for the IPF, which is the International Powerlifting Federation, and um, women's weight classes start generally around 47 kilos, and then they can go up to 84 plus kilos. And then for 
men it usually starts at 59 and can go up to 120 plus kilos so there is entry girls in between them weights that split up people for competitions so you're not then lifting against someone that is twice your size and a lot stronger thankfully. How did you first get into it what was the process of going from the the PT work into powerlifting? So I was with the PT probably for around a year or so um, and then we moved house so wanting to keep up with exercising um, and having a healthier lifestyle I went to a local gym and they really focused on the compound lifts which is your squat bench deadlift etc and strength training as well was really encouraged um, and then this is where I got into powerlifting and um, one of the coaches there was really encouraging with me and he gave me loads of tips and helped me with my form and things like that and um, he helped me get into my position for the arch for the benching and things like that because you're being arched then reduces the range of motion so you're more likely to be able to lift more weight and things like that um, and he has basically taught me everything that I know from that. There is a scientific side behind it then with the like the arching that you've said there's more goes into it than just as I, I think as I've said before on this not about powerlifting it's just about going to the gym in general it's more than just lifting heavy things. Yeah definitely there's a lot of science and technique and things like that that go into it that I am still improving on at the moment um so no no lift is ever really a perfect lift as such and you know um I would record some session and things like that in my garage that I'm working working out at the minute to be able to kind of check my form and things like that um and we did my one rep maxes for my lifts um a couple of weeks ago and he wanted to see the videos of them to be able to check my form and give me pointers and tips and that because you are lifting big weights and if you don't lift them right you can hurt yourself very easily and it is that being cautious and being safe while you're doing so. What does your training involve? Your training involves obviously the three lifts as well um, as accessory work so you my training sessions I would have two upper days and two lower days a week um which is different from some people some people train squats four days a week um bench four days a week and deadlift once or twice it is very much up to the individual and what they're wanting to push um so as I said mine I squat twice a week at the minute I am deadlifting twice a week and I am benching twice a week and then as I said there is the accessory work too at the minute um my have quite a bit of back work to help increase my back strength um that then you have work for the likes of hip thrusts for your glutes and for your hamstrings you would have rdls and things like that that having more isolated accessory work then is what follows the compound lifts that they're done first where most of the energy then is used for them that you're not fatigued by other uh, lifts and work it's like of you know a lot of people say we'll do your weight training before your cardio that you have more energy for your weight lifting than you do for your cardio because weight lifting would put you know more strain on the body and requires more energy generally you mentioned compound lifts there. For those who might not be aware, could you describe what they are? 
Um, so compound lifts are lifts that work more than one muscle grip, as I mentioned earlier, the likes of an overhead press would work your shoulders and your tries. Um, like so a bench, depending on your grip width, can work your chest and your your biceps or your chest and your tries. Um, whereas then, as I mentioned, the isolated movements is that it focuses on one muscle grip. We have some more listener questions in on the powerlifting. Uh, three of them have come from Matt. Uh, you said you mentioned the home gym setup that you've got, uh, which I'll come on to in more detail now. But Matt says, how has your training gone, o- gone over the past year with generally no access to gyms and do you have a home gym setup? The first six months were tough. I will not lie in that sense of I had light dumbbells and was literally doing like hit training, which is the high intensity interval training. And it's not something I overly enjoy, but I wanted to keep moving and keep doing something. Um, I even bought a skipping rope to skip in the back garden just to give me something to do. Um, and then I was able to get a 15 kilo barbell, um, was doing high volume stuff with that, the likes of, you know, squats um, was the main thing that I was doing lunges. It was more leg work because um, leg work tends to burn more calories and requires more energy um, and things like that. And then over the six months, I was able to get a home gym set up of squat rack, bench. I had the barbell. I got weight plates, a couple of kettlebells, um, heavier dumbbells. And for Christmas, I actually asked for a sissy squat and a slam ball. So that is my home gym equipment set up at the moment. Sounds like you've got everything you need there. Yeah, pretty much. Thankfully, it took a bit of time to build up, but it is pretty much everything that I need to do what I need to do and keep on with my training, which is great. And I am very thankful to be able to have that at the minute when the gyms are closed and things like that, because I know a lot of people don't have that set up and are kind of working with the likes of dumbbells or just kettlebells or even bodyweight stuff. So it has been great to be able to continue training. Another question that came in from Matt was, uh, what, if anything, do you feel is the biggest downside to powerlifting as a kidney transplantee? I don't really think in ways, you know, there is a downside, but I try to look on the positive side of that. I am still able to do this with a transplant. Um, one thing that I have to be careful of in ways of over pushing myself I like to give everything into my training and it is knowing when you need to take those rest days or bring the weights back and I do do it but it's nearly frustrating in ways because I'm the type of person I want to go at it and go 110% all the time but that doesn't work when you're lifting big weights especially with the transplant Um, another thing for me is my weightlifting belt um, I personally use a Velcro belt, but that is not IPF suitable. Um, the IPF have equipment that they allow and the Velcro belt isn't in it. So if I was going to comps, I would have to change my belt. Um, but I like to use the Velcro one because it's able to reduce the pressure compared to other belts in the stomach with the kidney. Um, that for me at the minute it's what I personally feel comfortable with and safe with and that's one downside of it all Um, as I mentioned earlier the core stability was a big one for me and that took time to work on 
but I don't think there really is a downside in the sense if you're still able to do it, you're still able to do the sport. It might take a wee bit longer to get your weights up sometimes, but that's okay. It's just consistency and hard work, you know, at it, and you will get there. Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like you're putting in a lot of hard work, and the fact that you've invested in a home gym shows how much you enjoy it and how seriously you're taking it and the effort you're putting in. Another question from Matt was, uh, what's your best squat, bench press and deadlift and total? So as I said, I did mine a couple of weeks ago um, and that was my best. I've actually got stronger during lockdown, which has been a great thing for me. Um, So my squat was 75, my bench was 55 and my deadlift was 92 and a half. So that's 220, 220.5. Yeah, that is right. Um, I was annoyed. I got 95 kg up in the deadlift, but I didn't have it locked out. So that wouldn't count. And I was raging with myself <laughs> for that. But no. So that's the, the highest at the moment. Have you got a rough idea of where that might rank you if you did a competition? Um. The world record is in like the 300s. Um, it depends what competition you do. I was wanting to do Bucks this year, which is the British University and College Sports Competition. Um, but that's not going ahead with COVID and things like that. Um, and that probably like there was ones in the 70 kilo range lifting that. Um, but when I would be in the open for normal competitions and as I say I'm not 100% sure on the lifting and that it also depends on the day because you know there's some lifters that could lift you know an extra 50 kilos but they might feel the lifts for certain things like the squat isn't deep enough or something like that on the actual day and it depends then. Yeah that all makes sense there's a, another question from Matt which brings on nicely to our next topic do you have any plans to get upon a platform to compete i would love to to be able to go up there and kind of represent you know people with transplants and saying like we can do this too would be really great um but obviously with the steroids that would be classed technically as doping even though they're catabolic instead of anabolic the ones that i'm on um, so I need it would need a TUE, which is a therapeutic use exemption. And on the International Powerlifting Federation website, they have a full kind of big PDF of everything for that. There is actually a section on kidney transplant. And like it even says about some dosages and things like that, which they would allow. Um, you have forms and stuff to fill in. You have to get a letter from your consultant and stuff, basically showing that no other treatment would be possible. Um, now, the other option is you could possibly go and lift as a guest, which means you wouldn't actually be competing. You would be in a category of your own. Um, and you wouldn't be ranked in anything, but you would still be able to get up on the stage and lift and do that. So what's the process of going to get a medical exemption? Um, basically, the first thing is is the forms and filling all of them out and getting all of the information down on paper. Um, and you have to get, as I said before, the 
information from your consultant so what would be the you know why you had to have a kidney transplant how long you've had it the medication you're on why you're on it the dosages that there is no other alternative medications or treatments and get that um sent in that is kind of the main bulk of it and then it is getting that approved um I have not known anybody personally that's had to get a TUE so I don't know how strict they are um but it is kind of more tedious because of all the forms and stuff like that than anything else um but as I've said I don't know how strict they are on that because I haven't known anybody else personally that's had to get one provided you can get that certificate uh how far would you like to take the powerlifting have you got any sort of target weights or goals that you want to hit um well the total at the minute um I will be competing at the 47 but I am around the 50 kilo weight at the minute I would say so that is 4.5 times my body weight um I would like to yeah especially when you're four foot ten you know, tiny and all of that. But it, being short does help with the lifts um, for the likes of sumo deadlifts um, rather than conventional. It's great being that bit shorter. Um, I would like to kind of my, I have goals, short-term, I see short-term goals, but weights I'd like to get by the end of the year. Um, I'd like to try and get that above 250. But I try not to say it big totals like that because obviously it depends with the kidney and stuff how far I can go and how much I can push myself and things like that. Megan it's been great to talk to you today thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story it's been nice to hear the perspective of someone who's had a transplant at a really young age and then gone through school with it and university and still living life doing what you're doing. Uh, One more question before we go and I ask this to everyone who comes on What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? Maybe even someone facing it as a child like you did. My advice would be, I would probably have a two pieces of advice. The first one would be, don't compare yourself to other people. If I compare myself to other people in university, I would be really upset and really hard on myself because with the sepsis and that, it took me five years to complete my bachelor's instead of three. But instead, taking the positive spin on it and saying, you know, I was able to complete my degree even with that. Um, so not comparing yourself to other people would be a big thing. And the other thing would be enjoy every day. Do something every day that makes you happy. Because the likes of me, you know, the consultant when I was diagnosed said, well, those results can't be right because no one can be alive with them. and you know, I nearly didn't make it. They nearly weren't going to take me to theatre because I was so ill. And to be able to get through that and through the transplant, through the sepsis and everything, each day is a privilege. And just take each day and do something for you that you enjoy. Absolutely. There we go. Thank you very much to my guest today, Megan Cairns, for the determination you've shown to come through everything that you've gone through in your life, especially when you were younger and the difficulties that came through school. The determination is incredible. Listeners, if you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you'd normally listen. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I know I've said this a lot now, it is the most listened, the most used app to listen to the podcast. So if you are on there, if you could rate it five stars, that would mean a huge amount to me. And if you could leave a review with that as well, 
any five-star reviews, I will read out at the end of the podcast. Uh, so please go ahead and do that if you can. Uh, if you'd like to follow on social media, you can do. We've mentioned them earlier. Facebook and Instagram is at Transplants Take on Sport Pod. Twitter is at TTOS Pod. And if you've got a story to tell, if you'd like to come on the podcast, uh, please do get in touch. I'd love to read all your stories and any messages you send. I will see them all. If you'd like to come on, you can email transplantstakeonsport at gmail.com or you can just send a message on social media and I'll get around to reading those soon. Thank you once again to my guest today, Megan Cairns. I've been Lewis Daniels and you've been listening to Transplants Take on Sport. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.